Well, take your Bible this morning and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. While you're turning there, I want to tell you I am so excited about our church. We're going to take a couple of weeks. We're going to take some time in a couple of weeks and just talk about some of the things that the Lord is doing, just to draw your attention, to bring some honor and glory to the Lord for how he is showing his kindness to our church. But I thought one thing I would share this morning, and our summit people know this because they just witnessed this, but we baptized for the very first time in our summit service this morning. Riley Ferguson, a college student, come to know the Lord, and we were able to celebrate over there with her. In fact, we did that about, about four and a half minutes ago. But what a great celebration. Uh, just like we have so much excitement and enthusiasm in our celebration service, great crowd this morning. Uh, we had a great crowd, a lot of excitement and enthusiasm in our summit service as well. It's just neat to see all the ways the Lord is working. But I want to begin this morning by reading to you just a few verses about perhaps one of the greatest examples of answered prayer uh, that you will find in Scripture. It's 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. Somehow in the baptism and the rush, I misplaced my glasses. So I'm just going to take a shot at these verses. You may want to follow along closely in your Bible. But 36, maybe that's a 36 or a 38. <laughs> the Bible says that at the time for offering the, of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that the people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And so he prays this prayer and he says, Lord, listen so that people will see the power of the God that we serve. And then in the next verse, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One of the things that we've said repeatedly in the last few weeks in our focus on the school of prayer in that there's nothing better to be better at than prayer. And that certainly was true with Elijah it's certainly true in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it is true today. And so right now in this long series of messages, we're focused on a model for prayer, and we call it the chat model. I didn't come up with that. I read that somewhere many years ago, and I've been following the chat model for years, maybe for decades, in my own personal prayer, C-H-A-T, C stands for confess. I begin with a time of confession in my morning prayers. To me, this is the very best part of prayer because there's no question I'm guilty of sin. There's no question that Jesus is the Savior. And so during the confession time, I put what's the worst thing about me with what is the best thing about God. And God reminds me of the forgiveness that he has granted to me. That's C, confess. 
Now, after that part of my prayer, I go to H, which is to honor the Lord. And I spend some time just bragging on the greatness of God, the beauty of God, the patience of God, the power of God to honor the Lord. A stands for ask. I ask the Lord for some things, and that's what we're focused on today. We talked about it some last week and said, why should we ask the Lord? Today we're going to talk about how we should ask the Lord, and then that'll bring us the following week, if the Lord allows, to T, which is thanksgiving. That's when we take some time and just thank the Lord for his kindness and how he has shown it in our lives. But today, we're going to focus on asking. As I said, we talked about why we should do this last week. Today, I want to give you some more practical information about exactly how it is that we can ask the Lord. There are really three questions that we want to answer. First is, do things really change when we ask God for something? If I, if I bring my petition to the Lord and I say, Lord, this is what I need, or Lord, this is what I hope to see happen, and I'm bringing this to you, the all-powerful God, and I'm asking for this, do things really change when we pray? So that'll be the first question. The second question we want to answer today is, well, then what kinds of prayers does God answer? Because all of us can think of times when we've prayed, we have asked, we have asked earnestly of the Lord, but God has not answered our prayer, at least not the way we wanted him to answer it or on the timetable that we wanted him to answer it. So exactly what kind of prayers does God answer? And then finally, I want to talk about the very specific things the Bible says we should pray for. Should we pray for our health? Is it wrong to pray for wealth? Can we pray for the weather? Can we pray for our football team? Can we pray against someone that we perceive to be an enemy? What exactly does the Bible say are the things that are in bounds and out of bounds when it comes to prayer? Ordinarily, we take a passage of scripture and during the sermon, we just walk closely through that passage. That's the way I like to preach. I think that's the best way to preach. But occasionally, you just need to take sort of a shotgun approach to Scripture, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the whole counsel of God's Word, and we're going to seek to answer those three questions. Number one, the first thing we need to know to give a, a good answer, a solid answer to those questions is this. Prayer changes things. Now, that's just about as simple a way I know to say it. Prayer changes things things. One of my very favorite illustrations of this, biblical illustrations, happened during the Exodus. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, the people of God are headed to the promised land. Uh, there is on the way a military conflict that happens between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And so they, they're going to do battle. They've been uh, encountering one another, confronting one another, but now it's time for the battle. And as the Bible tells the story, Moses, who is the leader of the Israelites, and a couple of other people, they go up on a mountain so that they can look at the battle, so that they can watch and see what's going to happen. Joshua, another leader of the Israelites, he stays down on the ground, and he is going to lead this military conflict. So when Moses gets up on the mountain, and he can see the army of Israel and he can see the Amalekites, and they're arrayed one against the other, and they're beginning to fight, what does he do? Well, what any good spiritual leader would do, he begins to pray. 
And the way it's described in the Bible is that he lifts his hands over the people and he prays for them. And here's what, I wanna read one verse out of a longer story, but Exodus chapter 17 verse 11 says, while Moses held up his hand in prayer, while he held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, the Amalekites prevailed. So there's a perfect illustration, an example, a historical example that shows that on the positive side, when we pray, good things happen. When we pray, God changes things. And when we fail to pray, bad things happen. And God doesn't work for us like he would have worked for us when we prayed. So he prays, they win. He stops praying, they lose. He prays, they win. He stops praying, they lose. There is a connection, a parallel between the prayers that were prayed to the almighty God and the real events that happened on the ground. And we can see this over and over in scripture. I'll read to you just a few uh, almost random verses, because uh, I, I could give you a hundred verses. You can think of a hundred verses. James chapter four, verse two, you desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and wage war, but you do not have because you do not ask. And here he says very plainly, and I love the book of James because it is probably the plainest book in all the Bible. He says, the reason you don't have some things is because you have not asked the Lord for some things. I'll show you another verse. Also from the book of James chapter five, uh, speaks of Elijah who prayed that prayer that we began our sermon with today and fire fell. It says Elijah was human, was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Don't you wish we had Elijah today? <laughs> but then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. Do you see there an obvious connection? You can't say you believe the Bible and not see this connection between the prayers prayed to the almighty God and what happened on the ground. I'll give you just one more example, Matthew 7. And I give you this one because I want you to hear it straight from the mouth of Christ. He says, who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father in heaven give good things to, now stop, don't read any further. I know you already have, right? Who is the father going to give good things to? To those who ask, to ask. And so there's no question in scripture that there's a connection between what, what we pray to an almighty God and what happens on the ground. However, there is a whole nother way to look at this. Uh, and, and I think for us to handle this well, uh, for us to be honest, we have to see both sides of this and then how they fit together. Here's the other side. The Bible teaches also clearly that God is sovereign. There is nothing outside of his knowledge. Uh, there is nothing that he does not control and that includes the future. 
God is not waiting to see what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year, depending upon whether or not we pray. God's not saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. Let's see how the people at First Baptist pray. He's not looking at you and saying, I don't know how this illness is going to work out. Let's wait and see how people pray. God knows how it's going to work out. God is in control of how it works out. He is sovereign. I heard one theologian this week or read one theologian this week who said it this way. If prayer could change God's future decrees... So if we could pray and that changed what God had planned in the future, the human will would usurp from God at least part of his control of history, which would deny God's all-controlling grace and destroy our faith. So we have to acknowledge this. From this perspective, prayer cannot lead to a real change. Contingent prayer can't change things on the ground. So obviously, we have something that doesn't seem to fit well together. On one side, the Bible is clear. When we pray, God moves, things change. On the other side, the Bible is clear. God is sovereign. He is never surprised, and he is not wondering what's going to happen in the future. So how do we settle this question? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is settle an epistemological question. We have to ask, where does truth come from? If we're going to deal with this question, where are we going to go for the answer? What is the highest authority of truth in our lives? Now, that's an important question. There are really, well, maybe a dozen different places we could look. But for our purposes today, let me share five different places that people generally look to find out what is the truth. Some people look to to tradition. What have we always believed is the truth? That must be the truth. We've always believed it. Some people will look at popular culture. They'll say, well, what does the world say? That must be the truth. Some people, though, will look at their own capacity for reasoning. They'll say, well, I'm just going to figure out in my mind what makes best sense to me, and that's the ultimate arbiter of what is true. Some people would suggest that it's not your capacity for reasoning, But it's your sense of fairness. What seems fair to me? So maybe maybe the ultimate authority is my head. Maybe the ultimate authority is my heart. And then some people will just say that they received this spiritual insight from who knows where. And that's, that's their ultimate spiritual authority. But there's one more place we could turn. There's one more thing that we could say that thing rises above everything else. And that ultimately is the authority. What's that last thing? Scripture. Scripture. We could say that the word of God, the revealed truth from heaven, that that is the ultimate authority. And I want to suggest that a Christian will always choose Scripture. That we want to look first and finally to God's word for what is the truth. And we don't evaluate God's word by those other four things. I don't evaluate God's word by what the world says about it. The world may agree or disagree. That doesn't change that the Bible is true. I don't evaluate God's word by whether or not it seems fair to me. What what is my sense of fairness? Who do I think I am? And I certainly don't evaluate God's word based on my own ability and capacity to reason. I can't look at God's word and say, that doesn't seem right to me. And so I'm going to put my 
intellectual capacity to reason above the authority of God's word. No, God's word is the ultimate authority. Now, as as Christians, we don't need to check our brains at the door. God has given us a gift of reasoning. He has given us a gift of judgment. Those are all blessings that God has given to us. We just have to be careful, though, that we don't put our sin-scarred reasoning above the authority of God's word. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is more deceitful than anything else. And so there are times when, when I think something is right because I'm a sinner and my heart and my mind have been scarred by sin The Bible says three times in the book of Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to man, but it ends in death. And so ultimately, it's not this that is the authority or this that is the authority. It's this. Now, what does that have to do with prayer? So the Bible seems to say in some places, in many places, it seems to say that God answers the prayers of his people. In other places, the Bible seems to say, it does say, that God is sovereign, he is immutable, he does not change, he is never surprised. So how do we put these two things together? Well, one of the most basic rules of interpreting the Bible is this, listen. The Bible generally means what it seems like it means. Does that make sense? Now I'm all in favor of going to school and learning Greek and Hebrew and and getting seminary degrees and I'm working on another one, I won't ever quit as long as the Lord will allow. But when it comes down to just understanding the truth of Scripture, in most cases, it means exactly what it seems like it means. The Bible was not written for experts. The Bible was not written for people with some sort of degree in linguistics or literary criticism. The Bible was written for plain people like me and like you. God is the master communicator. He can communicate truth. And he has done so well. And he has done so perfectly. And if you look at a passage of scripture and you have to go through all kinds of intellectual gymnastics to make it fit what you believe is true, then you have missed the point of scripture. You can't be, you can't be an open theist and a Bible Christian at the same time. Now, what I mean by that is we can't say, we can't dismiss what God says about God's sovereignty and only embrace what the Bible says about uh, answered prayer. And we can't turn it around and embrace only what uh, God's word says about sovereignty and dismiss what it says about answered prayer. So how do we put these together? Well, in our minds, we may think that there's some logical conflict. I can't accept that both things are true, God is sovereign and that God answers prayer. Well, I'm with you. I can't understand how those fit either. So me and you, if you're with me, we have two choices. So let me give these to you. Number one, we can elevate our reason above scripture as the authority. I could just say, this is more important than this, and I'm gonna have to figure out a way perhaps to compromise this in order to make it fit with this. In fact, the statement I gave you earlier, that theological statement, let me read it again that from that the, theologian who, who is a man I respect greatly, but I think he's got this one wrong. Listen to what he said again. See if you could figure out what he is appealing to when he says this. 
If prayer could change God's future decrees, the human would usurp from God at least part of his control of history, which would deny God's all-controlling grace and destroy our faith. Now, that makes sense, and that's a way that this man has, has sort of compromised God's word to make it fit his brain. But here's what's wrong with his statement. He's saying something that's just not in the Bible. He says, there's no way you can put this together without destroying our faith. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's what his head says. So what do we do? What's the other option? We can acknowledge the scripture as the highest authority. We can decide, listen church, that something can be true even if we don't fully understand it. This is what I choose. This isn't being anti-intellectual. This is recognizing three things are true. First of all, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. It doesn't surprise me that there are some things that are true that my puny little brain can't understand. Does that make sense? In fact, I really think it's the height of arrogancy, arrogance to, to say that if I can't understand it, it must not be true. Well, of course there are things I can't understand. So first of all, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Secondly, Truth is by revelation. The way we know truth is ultimately because of what God has revealed to us as the truth. And then finally, I relate to God by faith. I don't follow God because I've got him all figured out. I don't follow God because my intellectual mind has, uh, uh, has uh, embraced his intellectual thoughts. No, I follow God by faith. I trust him even when I don't understand. All that theology and philosophy to say this. God answers prayer. It's, it's clear in scripture and it cannot be denied. I'll give you one more passage and then we'll move on. But I love what Jesus said. It, it can't be plainer than this. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. To the one who seeks, he finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. There's no question. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Now, that brings us to the second, second thing we need to know to answer those questions. And this is the one I'm most excited about. God honors prayers that honor God. Now, just look at that statement a minute because I, I want you to see everything I want to say in the next seven or eight minutes is, is, is tied to that statement, hangs off that statement. So we're going to begin by going back to a verse we looked at last week. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask, Jesus says, in my name, in Jesus' name. We talked about what it means to pray in Jesus' name last week. So whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, we learned half of that last week. It means to pray with the authority of Christ. I can go to God not because I have standing with God, but because Christ has standing with God. I go not based on me. I don't go with a check signed with my name. I go to God with a check signed with Jesus' name. I go by his authority. But also, it means not only that I go by his authority, but I go according to his will, his volition, his desire. When I pray in Jesus' name, I'm seeking to pray to the Father what Jesus would desire, the plan that he wants me to go down, what he wants to see happen. We see that in 1 John 5, 14, where it says, if we ask anything according to his will, according to what he wants, then God will answer that. So to pray in Jesus' name means to come in his authority, but also means to come according to his, to his plan, according to his desire. So what does Jesus desire? Hang with me a minute. 
If to pray in Jesus' name is to come to God and ask for what Jesus is asking for, then what does Jesus want? Well, you go back to that verse uh, that, we've, that we've just read, John 14, 13. It says that he des desires that the Father may be glorified. You see that? We have it on the screen here, right in the middle of the verse. What does Jesus desire? That the Father may be glorified. Everything is for the glory of the Father. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians that whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's what Jesus desires. Now let's go back to our point here. God honors prayers that honor God. God's, God, Jesus' desire is to honor God. And he says, if you pray in my name according to my desire, that God will always answer the prayer. So what does that mean? God honors prayers that honor God. I want to make sure this sticks with you for a while. So we're going to say it aloud. I know audience participation is not your favorite, okay? But let's say it. Uh, I'm out of town this next week, so you can send a letter to Mark. So, but, <laughs> so let's say it together. So just in case you're not following, wake up. What we're going to say is God honors prayers that honor God. You ready? God honors prayers that honor God. When we pray, we should talk about how our request can bring honor and glory to God. I was reading this week when... One writer was talking about how this has been done through the history of the church. And he said that they used to call it arguing before the Lord. Now, what does it mean to argue before God? Well, he's not talking about debating God or disagreeing with God. He's talking about arguing before God like an attorney argues a case before a judge. The attorney will bring evidence. The, the attorney will give reasons why this should be settled in, search, in a certain way. So when we pray, we ought to pray for, for something to happen that we believe will bring honor and glory to God, and we ought to tell God why that is. God, I, I'm asking that you do something, and the reason I'm asking is because this will bring honor and glory to you, and here's how it will do it. So I thought I would, I would share some prayers with you. So my prayers, uh, not all the time, but I, I write down a lot of my prayers just because i don't always stay focused if I don't. Um, so I want to share two prayers with you. I prayed this last week. One was uh, a lady in our church who I'm sure is here this morning. I won't mention her name because I didn't ask permission, but she's facing some serious medical issues. And so she asked me to pray. And so I prayed. And I actually, I didn't just pray. I wrote the prayer out and I sent it to her, sent it to her in a text. So she's read this. Uh, so here's what I prayed. I am praying both for your protection from cancer, has something to do with cancer, and that the Lord will use this to always keep your faith and your prayer life strong. I'm praying that the way so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, three people in this person's life, I'm praying that the way those people see you trusting the Lord through this will impact and strengthen their faith. And I'm asking the Lord to turn the negative into the biggest blessing for his honor and glory. Okay, so now I could have prayed simply, Lord, keep this woman from getting some disease or heal this person of some disease. And I'm not saying that's a bad way of praying, 
But the Bible says that God honors prayers that honor God. Jesus says, pray in my name, pray according to my desire, which is to honor God. So I prayed that what would happen in this person's life is that God would work so that he would be honored. And I don't know if God could best be honored by this person being healed or this person being protected or this person learning how to pray through some tough times. I mean, that's really above my pay grade. I I certainly prayed for healing. I pray for healing for a lot of people because I love and care for people. But at the end of the day, what I desire is that God would be honored in their lives. So bring your petition to God and then tell God, here's how an answer to this prayer will honor him. So I'm also praying for my oldest daughter. She has a big job interview tomorrow. And uh, she, she graduated from college and she's looking for a job that will uh, take care of her needs while she goes to grad school. And so a lot of pressure tomorrow, or she feels a lot of pressure, whether it is or not. But, uh, but here's the prayer I prayed. Uh, if it be your will, Lord, let Hannah have this job so that she has a job that will provide finances and flexibility that she needs to pursue her seminary training so she can continue to follow the path that you have laid out for her. I pray that you provide her a job also where she can share the gospel with a lost person and she can honor you in her daily work. So instead of just praying that God would give her a job, I have argued my case before the Lord. Listen, it's my daughter. I have argued my case before the Lord. Lord, give her this job. If it's your will, there may be some other job she ought to have, but if this is the, give it to her. And here's why I've got some good reasons. Not just so she'll have a job, but because I want her life to honor, to honor the Lord. Can I give you a, a biblical example? That's way more important than these. I love, and this is, a, this is a passage maybe you're not super familiar with, or at least not familiar with the part I'm going to point out. I love this. Isaiah 37, 14, Hezekiah, who was king of the northern kingdom, right, of Judah, I believe. I should know that. Uh, but Hezekiah uh, took a letter from, from messengers, and he read it, and he went up to the Lord's temple, and he spread it out before the Lord. So there were, uh, there was uh, the Assyrians, I believe, uh, they were about to attack, so they sent a letter. This was nice of them, and said, you know, you need to surrender, because we're coming to attack. It'll be a lot easier on all of us if you just surrender. And so what does, um, what does Hezekiah do? And I've done this. He takes the letter... And he spreads it out and he says, okay, God, listen to this. (laughs) And it's as if he reads the letter to God. Like, God, I don't know if you know what this guy is saying, but you listen to this. Verse 15, Hezekiah then prayed to the Lord, spreads it out, reads it, prays. And here's what happens. Here's what he prays, rather. Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you, God, Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. He says, now listen, God, this is important, and I got something to say. He says, hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. So the letter was from Sennacherib, a Syrian leader. He says, listen to what Sennacherib has said. This is what he's saying to God. Lord... It is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. Now, Lord, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord. 
Do you see how he did this? He could have just said, Lord, stop the army of the Assyrians. But he said, no, 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 Lord. I need your attention because I want to read this whole letter to you. This guy is he is lying about you and, and he is degrading the God of Israel. And I'm praying that you give victory, not just for us, but so that the whole world will know that you are the one true living God. Do you see how God honors prayers that honor God? And he made his, he made his case. Uh, so can you pray for your health? Can you pray that God will make you wealthy? People ask pastors that all the time. Uh, can you pray for the weather? Uh, I had a conversation with somebody about that this week. Can you pray, uh, can you pray for your football team? I mean, it's not very far away, right? And uh, can you pray, what can you pray for? Well, it really comes down to two things. It comes down to idolatry and motive. Idolatry is any time we ask God for something to give us something that we really should find in him. Now that may not make much sense, let me explain. God's greatest gift to us is not health or prosperity. God's greatest gift is what? Himself, himself. And so if I go to God and say, God, give me a million dollars so that I will be happy, peaceful, and joyful, what have I done? I've asked God to give me something that I ought to find in him. My joy shouldn't come from a million dollars. My joy should come because I have God. I don't have a million dollars, but I have God, and that's better than a million dollars. And so when I go to God and ask for something to give me something that I ought to be finding that in God anyway, that's idolatry. Then I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping the money or the health or the promotion. It's interesting how the Bible explains this, and I don't want to be crude, but the Bible chooses the language, so I'm blaming the Bible. Uh, but, but this is a, I think this will help you understand, even though it might make you uncomfortable. In James chapter 4, we read that you do not have because you do not ask. Here's how that passage continues. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. And he goes on. Why does he call these people who pray with the wrong motives? Why does he call them adulterous? What's what that happening? It's not talking about Adultery, not marital adultery. What is he talking about? If you pray for the wrong reasons, you're committing adultery. Well, he's talking about spiritual adultery. So let me use his illustration. Okay. When, when a man and, and woman get married, the woman is saying when she marries the man that I promise to meet your romantic and your sexual needs. That's a part of what marriage is. I promise to meet your romantic and your sexual needs. And so maybe, uh, you know, into the marriage few years, the man goes to his wife and he says, you remember, when we got married, you promised to meet my romantic and my sexual needs. And she would say, yes, I did. And he said, he would say, well, good. So what I need is for you to go talk to one of your friends and have her come be with me. Now, what would she say? Well, Probably a lot of things. Well, when she calmed down, what would she say? 
No, when I said I would meet your needs, I didn't mean I would meet them through somebody else. I meant I would meet them in myself. See, God promises to meet our needs, but not by treasures of the world, but because we are connected with him. And it is idolatry for us to look for our needs to be met in things other than God. And so if your prayer is about you being satisfied because of money or, or happy because of health or, 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 or glad because of some other possession or success, then that's idolatry. You're seeking to get your needs met by something other than the Lord. So can you pray for those things? Well, first ask the question of idolatry. Second, ask the question of motive. If your motive is simply to create heaven on earth uh, for your own personal pleasure and satisfaction, then that is not a biblical motive. But if your motive is that God would answer this prayer so that he would be honored or so that you could bless other people, have you ever prayed, Lord, please give me this because I believe if I had that, I could bless some people with that. Or if, you're, if your motive is that you could show the love of Christ to people, then that's a biblical motive. So what can you pray for? Church, pray for whatever you want to pray for. But make the argument, make the case to the Lord for how this is for his honor or to bless somebody and show them the love of Christ. If you wanna pray for the weather, if you can connect it to the glory of God, pray for the weather. If you wanna pray for your football team and you can connect it to the glory of God, pray for your football team. The, the question is not so much what can you pray for, but why can you pray for it? God honors prayers that honor God. Number three. The best petitions start with a list of needs, not a list of purposes. You know, I've talked a few times in this series about praying prayer lists. And, and, and I don't mean to be negative about them. Most of you, many of you, you have prayer lists. I have prayer lists, whole list of things that we pray for. There's not anything bad about a prayer list. Uh, it, it's just that that's not, though that's the way people usually start to pray, that it is really hard to pray with a prayer list and not mess it up. And I think people start with a prayer list and they get 45 things down on a piece of paper and they pray for all 45 things about three days in a row. And it is so bad, it is so monotonous, it is so meaningless to them that they just quit. So I'm not a big fan of prayer list. But, but let's talk about them for a moment because I think, I, can, I think we can redeem your prayer list uh, and, and make it a valuable tool. First of all, some negatives on prayer list. It's not really a biblical model, and you should know that. There, nobody in the Bible has a prayer list. Nobody, 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 you will, so won't find it. Um, and we need to be careful that our spirituality is not built on things that are nearly, that are, that are, our spirituality is not built on things that are not prescribed or described in the Bible. And that's a whole other sermon. But I, I think in American Christianity, we, have, we do a lot of things that just, they're just far into scripture. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of the things we do, if people from the Bible, from the first church showed up today, they'd just think, What? What? And, and, and we're, we've done them for so long that we're just not even sensitive to it anymore. And a prayer list might be one of those. Another reason why a prayer list can be negative, and I'm going to give you some positives, uh, but another reason why it can be negative is it just becomes monotonous. And you know, I just go through, a, I go through a list. You know, Bob, Sally, Chris, Paul, Pete, and, and, and it just becomes monotonous. Another thing is that it can become a routine rather than a heartfelt plea. When we pray, we're not just giving God a list. He's already got the list. 
We're, we're bringing God a heartfelt plea. And I don't know about you, that's hard for me to do with a list of 45 names. So what are some positives? There is one big positive to a prayer list. There are a ton of things I want to pray about and not forget. I have prayer lists every single day. I have a prayer list, people here in the church. And somebody helps me with that. And I pray for a list of people in our church. And the list change every day. And I pray for that list of people. And I, it's a list because I don't want to skip somebody I intended to pray for that day. So it helps us to remember. But there is a better way. If praying through just a list is so difficult, then perhaps what we need is not a list of needs. We need a list of purposes. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me give you a not-so-biblical prayer list. I just made this up. Father in heaven, pray for Harold to overcome cancer, Beatrice to find a job, Frida to fix her marriage, Archie to find a wife, Norma for safe travels, and Roxanne to pass the test. Okay. Now, any um, resemblance to people in the church, that was unintended. Um, but now, that's a prayer list. And like I said, most of us have prayer lists that look just like that. But here's a better way. What if instead of focusing on the need, what if I focused on the purpose? So let me give you the same prayer list, prayer list but with a purpose. Father, I pray, let's see, Harold had cancer, right? Okay. Uh, so Father, I pray for Harold and I pray that you will be honored in his life either through how you heal his cancer or how you give him the strength to handle the difficulty so that everybody around him will say, that man serves a great God. Father, I pray for Beatrice that she would find a job so that she could shine the light of Christ into some people who otherwise would never know about the love of Jesus. I pray, Father, that, that Frida, that you would bring reconciliation to her marriage so that other people would see the kind of reconciliation that they can have with Christ. Father, I pray for Archie, that he will find a wife so that he would have a partner for ministry and service. I pray for Norma, that she would travel safely so that she can honor you at her destination. I pray for Roxanne, that she would pass the test so she can get the education and pursue the calling that you've put on her life to live her life for the glory and honor of God. You see, it's not a list of needs, it's a list of purposes. I pray, when I know somebody has cancer, I pray that God will heal them of their cancer. But you know, honestly, the most important thing is not that God heals them of cancer. The most important thing is that God will be honored in their lives. If I come down with cancer tomorrow, I hope the whole church will pray for my healing. But I also hope you'll pray that God, honor yourself in Noel Deer. And if that means healing the cancer and that'll bring the greatest honor, then heal him. If it means that he needs to, to suffer and he needs to lay in the hospital in pain and agony for six months and somehow that would bring greater honor and glory to you, then Father, that's what I want to happen. The, we're not praying for needs. We never were praying for needs. We're praying, praying for purposes. Uh, I uh, didn't plan to say this, but Mike Lee back there, I saw him a minute ago and now he's disappeared on me, but uh, I, know he's, I know he's here. Raise your hand, Mike. So... Oh, there, I see a hand. Thank you, Mike. If you don't know Mike Lee's story about his wife passing away with cancer a couple of years ago now, um, uh, we're going to get you up here, Mike. People got to hear. It was hard, and she struggled, and she died. But God was honored. God was honored, wasn't he, Mike? And um, 
God's will was done. Listen, once you pray for a purpose and not a need, then you can fight in your prayers. I mean, not you're fighting God, but the Bible says come boldly before the throne. I think about the story Jesus tells in Luke 18 where the woman goes before the unjust judge and she's persistent. She says, give me justice, give me justice. And he's a bad judge and he doesn't. But she keeps coming and keeps coming. And finally he says, just so she'll leave me alone, I'll give her justice. And then Jesus said, pray like that, which makes you think, well, what? Is God some unjust judge? No. But if that's what an unjust judge will do, think what God will do. If we will come uh, passionately and persistently and, and bring our needs. Pray with boldness. Go to God and say, God, I want you to do something here. And here's why. Not so I'll be happy. Not so I'll have money in the bank. Not so my back won't hurt. But so that you will be glorified. And if you pray like that, you can pray with power. Now I want to wrap it up this way. The greatest prayer anybody ever prayed was the petition for salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He says one believes with his heart resulting in righteousness. You trust God. You trust God. And one confesses with his mouth. That refers to this special prayer resulting in salvation. If you've never put your trust in God, you're guilty of sin. Your only hope is what Christ has done. If you haven't put your trust in that and professed with your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let that be your prayer. Baptized a, a, a young lady, as I said, just a little while ago in our, in our summit service. And I asked her one question. What is your confession of faith? And she said, Christ is Lord. Absolutely. That's the first prayer everybody needs to pray. If you've not prayed, prayed that prayer in a moment, we're going to stand and sing and and there'll be people, ministers here at the front, just come forward and say, I need help praying that prayer. Or I just prayed it. I don't need your help. I just want you to know. And let us help you begin to walk with Christ. But here's, I want to do one more thing. I know we're way over on time. I want us to, I want us to practice praying boldly for the, for the glory of God in some circumstance. So let's do this. Not to be mystical, but bow your head and close your eyes. And I'll... I want to ask you to ask the Lord to show you one thing that you can pray boldly for right now. Listen, prayer makes a difference because prayer prays to a mighty God who loves us. Don't pick something small. Pick something big and bold and audacious. What could you pray for? What's something that you, that maybe only God could do? What's something that's worth praying for and continuing to pray for every day until God either answers your prayer or changes your prayer? What's something you could pray for? Something that, that if God were to do it, it would bring honor and glory to him. What is it? Would you commit right now to praying for that today and every day until God answers or changes your prayer? Father in heaven, we have not because we ask not. Forgive us for our lack of faith and our lack of confidence in you. Forgive us for idolatry when it's been all about us. And let me pray bold prayers for the honor of God in my life and the lives of those that are closest to me. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we pray, as we sing.